0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Football 360. I'm delighted to welcome John Coleman onto the show. John is currently Accrington Stanley manager. It's the club that he, uh, his name is synonymous with. Um, he, over two spells spanning almost 20 years, he's taken them from the seventh tier of English football up to the third tier of English football. Uh, and he's currently sat, or they are sat pretty in the, in the promotion playoff spots alongside teams like Portsmouth. Um, and, and Sunderland and other major major names in the game um, in League One, uh, so with the potential to, to to go up to the Championship, it's been a fairy tale story. Um, and, it, and John's a guy who is just absolute salt of the earth, uh, the epitome of, of what I would call a football man. Um, a great career as a non-League striker, scoring hatfuls of goals whilst, whilst smashing centre halves around up in the northwest of England. Uh, and then has embarked on an, an incredible journey um, with uh, with his coaching staff that has seen them enjoy unbelievable success on incredibly limited resources. Uh, I, th- I know that their budget um, when they they won League Two was uh, was kind of bottom five. Um, I know that their their budget in League One is is pretty much bottom, uh, and yet they currently sit in the promotion spots. So I think. That says all you need to know about the capabilities of the guy. Um, this conversation is going to tell you more about the character, his method. Um, there's a, an awful lot for, for coaches um, to, to, to pick out at John Coleman's brain. Um, and I think fans of the game, players, everyone, everyone who loves football is going to enjoy this because, um, as I say, John is a, an incredible football guy, um, knowledge that you know very few could compete with experience that very few could compete with. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just a top, top man. Um, I'm really, really going to enjoy this. And I'm pretty certain that everyone who watches or listens to this uh, will do too. Enjoy. Welcome to Football 360. Um, this week, I'm delighted to have the accrington Stanley manager, John Coleman, uh, on with me. Really delighted to get a man of uh, John's calibre and experience on the show. Welcome to the show, John. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, no problems. Thanks a lot. Right, we're going to get started with a warm-up, as we always do. Um, so, first off, uh, who's your favourite player ever and why?
1: Well, it changes from time to time. It? it changes through your life. When I was a kid, yeah. God, Gerd Muller was my favourite because I just idolised the way he scored goals. And uh, I had children very young and my, my firstborn was a girl, Leanne. And if she'd have been a boy, she'd have been called Gerd. Wow. But, uh, but uh, no, I idolised him. I just think everything about him as a striker was what I wanted to be. And then as yeah. I've as I've grown up watching football, Stevens Gerrard yeah, has been my favourite. I think just the way he's played the game, the way he's played with, with many different teams—some good, some bad—but always yeah. won trophies with poor teams. I think at times uh, yeah. you when know, went from playing with fashionable players to unfashionable players. And it didn't it didn't alter this performance, and you know to score in the FA Cup final, European Cup final, UEFA Cup final, League Cup final, uh, not just the the action on the cake was obviously the uh, the league championship that he just missed out on. But you know as a player, I think he had everything, and um, I think you know everyone everyone who young
0: midfielders coming through should aspire to be like him, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny actually because we've had a few people on here, and I think you're the first one to mention Gerard. But um, I think everyone's got everyone in the game's got universal respect for him. Just unbelievable play, unbelievable character.
1: Yeah, I mean it helps for me because I'm a Liverpool fan. But yeah, he's given me some unbelievable moments, but yeah, uh, just a fantastic player.
0: Yeah, nice one. Okay. Um, your favourite team ever, not, not not your favourite team as in Liverpool, but the favourite eleven players. A, a moment in time when you when you were captured by a team and thought that's a hell of a team and it stuck with you.
1: I love the Leeds team in the seventies. Right. You, know, you look at some of the, the clips now and they're a bit dated like it, but you see the them the playing on a cap field and they're passing the ball around years ahead of the time. Yeah. And, um one touch, two touch football. Um and Growing up as a Liverpool fan, Leeds were the big rivals. Then Le- Leeds were the main rivals in the seventies. Yeah, and so it was quite a booter like Leeds. And I remember my mum getting me a Leeds kit, the yellow, the yellow one. they, they were the first ones to have the flashy kits.
0: Wow! So
1: blitz- you- socks. Um, and I still supported Liverpool, Liverpool. And I remember crying when Leeds got beat by Sunderland in the seventy-three Cup final. I've, I've never been one of these people who've, who uh, shouts for the underdogs. Yeah. That's remarkable, really, considering the and the perennial underdogs. But um, yeah. I've always wanted the favourites to win. I've always wanted West Germany to win. I loved West Germany. Yeah. Even most people in England didn't want them to do I, I
0: wouldn't be having that. I wouldn't be having that. It's funny you mentioned Sunderland there in the 73 Cup final, because I, I was taught, but I grew up in Guernsey. I was from the northeast, but I moved over there as a kid, and I was I was taught by Richie Pitt, who was the centre half of Dave Watson that day. Yeah. Um, so he, he, I mean, he was one of the probably the influences on me as a young player.
1: Yeah, I mean Sunderland, they were a good team in their own right. But yeah. it, I mean, if you watch the game, if you watch the game back, it should have been about 10 ten-one to Leeds. Leeds. I was yeah. Dying yeah. Like um, the Alonso, yeah. One of them games where the ball just wouldn't go in the net. Uh, and you know Jim Montgomery with the famous save off ever yeah. said. But um I just loved the way they played the Leeds play the players in you know, it's funny I can name the whole team. You know uh it was David Harvey, Gary Sprake, you had Rainy yeah. um Terry Cooper, take one of them as your full backs, uh Jack Tiant and Norman Hunter, Johnny Charles, Billy Bremner, Peter Lorimer, Eddie Gray, yeah. uh, Alan Clark and Mick Jones. And you know, they all throw me. I loved Alan Clark. I loved, you know, the way he just poached goals.
0: Sniffer.
1: Yeah, Sniffer Clark. And he, yeah. Unassuming way he celebrated, you know, as if to say, well, I knew I was going to score. And, you know, I, I tried to carry that bit of arrogance with me into non league football. You know, I was a goal scorer and I, I used to expect to score whenever the time I played.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, again, that's a that's a different answer. But I mean, I, I remember seeing footage. I mean, look, dirty leads and the the you know Norman, yeah. you know the images of Norman Hunter and Billy well, Brent yeah,
1: That's what made them so good. They could mix it up, you know. I
0: mean,
1: yeah. And they were very physical. You know, if you watched yeah. the nineteen seventy, um,
0: Chelsea, Chelsea.
1: Sorry, the seventh. Well, the seventy game was an absolute war of attrition against. Yeah. Chelsea. But if you watched the, I think it was the 74, 75, 74 uh, Charity Shields where Keegan and Bremner got sent off.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that
1: was absolutely off the scale. Physicalist. Yeah. But I thought that's what made them special because people, people just saw them as dirty leads, but they could play.
0: Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah, no. The, the, I, I mean, the, the bits of footage I've seen when they've just—they might have been four or five nil up, or three nil up, or whatever it was—and they, they were knocking the ball around for fun and possession football before possession football was really a thing. Just no. clearly, they do it both ways. Okay. Um, another question on football. So you're you're a chairman, and you've got one game left ever ever, and you've got two teams picking the best players in the world. You have to choose a manager to get you a result in that one game over 90 minutes. We're not talking about someone who's developing a, a team over a period of time for one game. He's got the he's got his pick of players. He's got his pick of how, how to do it. Who's going to get you that result? I'd like to say myself, to be honest. But uh,
1: yeah. uh, if I had to go with one, do that, that to get me the result. I'd probably say Ancelotti. Ancelotti. Yeah, because I think. He's just capable of, of coming in and getting a result no matter what. Love
0: it, you
1: know, yeah. There's lots of English managers who, who do it well. You know, the likes of Sam, Big Sam. Sam Allardyce does it well. Neil Warnock does it well. Yeah. Uh, but he can he can just set a team up and get a result.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, Big Sam showed that against Liverpool the other day. Yeah, but, definitely. Uh, I just think Ancelotti because he's very calm, very unassuming, but knows the game inside out. and
0: Yeah.
1: He's done a wonderful I- job so far already.
0: Yeah, Nah, no, he's he's uh, he's an impressive manager, and and and, and a different style to a lot of traditional managers in terms of he's not the alpha male, is he? But he's he's, yeah. he's you know I, know I know his book about quiet leadership, and um uh, I'm, um I'm, yeah, he, he just impresses me wherever he goes. He's just one of them who has a presence, doesn't he? Yeah. Right. Final question on, on the normal warm up. Give us a little known fact about John Coleman that not many people know. Only those in your inner circle might know.
1: Um, I was. I was ball boy when Kenny Zaglis made his debut at Wembley. Class. Um, but I played for Kirby boys. At yeah. the time. And obviously from Merseyside, Kirby. And Trafford boys uh, from Manchester, we were both selected to provide the ball boys. So all our names went in the hat. And um, and mine got picked out, fortunately. And the irony is that we had a lad with us that, in that team who didn't get picked out. Tommy Caton and he went. He went on to play for a while, about um, six or seven years later for Man City. Yeah, Yeah, So I sat next to him all through school. Wow. And um, you know, sadly, he's no longer with us. Yeah,
0: it's sad
1: news. Yeah, it's sad. Um, but you know, that's that was something I was uh, delighted with. You know that uh, to, to go to Wembley and and watch Kenny make his debut. And ironically, the hero that day wasn't Kenny because it. Only, he'd only just arrived, so we didn't know yeah. him. But I, I was enthralled with Gordon Elf from Manchester United. I thought oh, yeah. It was
0: a um, was he, a winger? he was a winger, wasn't he, Gordon
1: Earl? He scored, scored two in the semi-final when he won the FA Cup. Scored two, I think he scored a free kick, but scored two from outside of box. Yeah.
0: Because
1: I wasn't really a skillful player, I, I, I couldn't really dribble past people. I just loved watching watching players who could take people on.
0: Right. I love
1: that now, watching, watching my own players do that.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. That's, I think you win the prize. That's the best, that's the best answer I've had on this one so far. Right, let's get on to there's a question from Eamon Elliot and he says, Do you remember the phone call you took at Whitley Bay? the yeah. second last game of the season.
1: Yeah, and do you know what? It, it spared us on, it spared me on. You know, it didn't spare that team on because we unfortunately got the sack. But I took it in the humour that it was it was intended, but I hope it was intended with the humour. But um, we'd, we'd pushed all the way for the league that year. You know, we, I, I took over at Aston United, uh, myself and Jimmy Bell. Jimmy Bell was a player there at the time. And yeah. He my, well, he still is my best mate.
0: Yeah. And, uh,
1: and he, he, he more or less coached me into applying for the job. OK. And um, so I got the job. And first year, you know, we were in the doldrums and we, we had a great run. We got to the eighth in the league. We got to the quarterfinal in the trophy FA trophy,
0: and then the following. What, year, the
1: trophy. Yeah, we got to the quarterfinal final of the trophy that year. As
0: a as a, uni, a Unibond one side, Unibond
1: one team. We got beat by tagging and Red Redbridge last minute, and we missed a pen in the game as well.
0: Um, I mean, in them in them days, the trophy was it was massive. No, that, yeah, that's was massive, wasn't
1: it? Um, yeah, you know, my first game in charge actually, we beat Burton Albion in the trophy, which was yeah. remarkable because that was like the the Leeds-Sunderland game only in reverse. They battered us and we won 1-0. Um yeah. So, so, the following year, we, um, we were pushing for the, for promotion and, um, we, we couldn't quite make it and we, we'd, we got the record number of points um, for anybody who'd not got promoted up of the Unibon 1. Yeah. Like 86 points and, um, We played Whitley Bay last game, or second to last game of the season, and we had to get something out of the game. Yeah. When nearly. uh, Because the workshop got the same or better us. They went up. Anyway, it wasn't a big workshop one, and we drew. And we're sitting in the bar having a drink after the game, and there was no mobiles then. Oh, well, there was mobiles, but they were in in the infancy. And I get to call uh, the Whitley Bay uh, bar people took a call they said um a john coleman in here and i went yeah and so uh i answered the phone he said hello this is the uh, workshop town supporters club and then they all proceeded to start singing going up and all that so it was great it was a good band I thought and yeah you, uh, you took
0: it you took it well but 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 it spurred you on obviously and to be fair well, you haven't that,
1: done bad since have you It is. and you know it just, it makes you realise how much football means to not just take away the premiership and, you know, people, most people have will support a premiership side of some description. Yeah. What passionate people are right down the leagues and I was obsessed with football. I was obsessed with non-league football. Non-league football was my life and I played all my, all my time in there. I had some cracking times, met some great people. Aiming on one of them, to be fair. <laughs> They're good friends today. Um, but, the passion that I had, I'd love to see that in other people. So, you know, when I've seen all the, the their fans celebrating, great.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I'd say is they've, you know, workshop haven't uh, haven't managed to, to, to go any higher and probably have struggled, struggled. you know, they've gone out of business a couple of times in my experience, in, you know, to my knowledge, and um, and you've gone the other way. So maybe it turns I mean, around the way. I did have a couple of boardrooms
1: well. with them. Uh, Sorry? I did have a couple of more run-ins with, with Workshop over the years. And remember yeah. they got out the trophy, funny enough. The year we won the conference, they beat us on pens. Yeah. In, in about the last 16.
0: That, that, they had a good team. I mean, the second game I played at that level in Unibon Prem, I played against them there. Kenny Clark up top. Kenny Clark, S- great player. Stafford up top as well. Townsend, there's John Kennedy in goal. Well, that's um, true
1: in the end
0: I know yeah yeah, he's a great
1: goalkeeper great goalkeeper yeah class okay great days <laughs> one of my strangest moments at in John Kennedy because he'd, he'd come in and we had, a, we had a goalkeeper called Jamie Spear yeah well I infamously took him off to replace him with, with uh, John Kennedy in the in the cup replay against uh, Bournemouth when we won on pens yeah uh, but um, so Jamie was a big was a big great mate of mine, JMO. But he was a, a big fans' favourite at the club, and I'd replaced him with John Kennedy, and the, the fans weren't happy about it because, like, he was he was the hero. And anyway, he'd done really well, John. And then we got his agents in, and we signed, a, we signed him on a, on a long-term contract, give him a good good deal. And we played Telford that day, and he's had an absolute nightmare. He's done three air shots, two of them have led to goals.
0: Yeah,
1: Martin kicked the ball and missed it. And this woman ran up to me and slaughtered me from one the, of on the fans. And I said, um, I said, uh, I said, why are you having to go with me? So she said, you should be playing Jamie's being all that blah, blah, blah. And she was screaming at me. I said, how much have you paid to get in? And she went, me and my husband have paid a 10 of each. So I took 20 pound of my pocket and I give it to her on a TR. I said, get lost.
0: Right,
1: she took the 20 pound. like, And then I got absolutely hammered the next week. in the in the press by all the supporters yeah but it was one of them things it just mounted up on me and um you know if i had the chance again now i would have done it and i us get 20 pounds in my pocket as well to be fair
0: <laughs> fair play fair play well listen if you've, you've led me nicely into into that that the next topic so let's talk a little bit about money I'm going to come at it from a slightly different angle to, to maybe some of the questions you field on a weekly basis about how you manage to work on a shoestring. And I'm going to I'm going to say that, and, and I've I've responded to your to, to your chairman a couple of times on Twitter on this as well. But I couldn't stand they weren't always the uh, the paupers weren't always the ones with with uh, with the empty pot. And when I used to play against you, you had a, a really good side, but you had a budget. Now my question is. And because I, I often think that managers are either good with a budget or good without a budget, but not necessarily can do both. So, what what were the different challenges that you faced then compared to what you've had since? Yeah,
1: I understand what you mean. We 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 had a the year we won the the Unibond First Division. We were seventh seventeenth in the league at Christmas. Right, the, the biggest budget in the league. Obviously, it's going to take a toll on you. You know, you should be doing miles better than seventeenth. Luckily, the chairman stayed with us, and then we were unbeaten until the end of the season of the league. Yeah, so we, yeah, well, comfortably the biggest budget in the unibond first. And I think we bought it. We bought twenty. as
0: well. So, say that again. Sorry, you bought
1: we bought Gary Williams from Morecambe for 20 grand. Yeah, he uh, signed Mark Shirley from, from Morecambe also. Yeah, finally, um, so you know, big characters, big players. Um we signed Stuart Tiggle from Lancaster. We all. At the time, we had the leading goal scorer in the league, Billy O'Callaghan, who got relegated with Ackerman's in this season, but he was still with us. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we we brought down a lot of the excellent team that I had when I got the sack. We ultimately went up and won the league. And then going into the Union bon Prem, we still had a, a, a budget that was um, that was competitive, you know, very competitive. And we did pay money for Paul Mullen and Simon Carroll. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest in that league then. In the Unibond Prem, we still had the likes of Alty, who, who whose budget would have would have been bigger than ours, and yeah. a few other teams who were always having a go at it. Um, I think Gaines would have had a go one year, but he spent a lot of money. Yeah,
0: uh,
1: but the 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 challenges are well, they're pretty much the same really, because the pressure the pressure mounts out of one way or the other. The pressure mounts from the from the the top coming down it should be doing
0: better.
1: Yeah from the fans that right? they want to eke every last drop out of you.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I'd sooner have the pressure of having a big budget and trying to sign the better players and know that I can coach them and get my coaches who are very good coaches, uh Jimmy Bell and John Doolan, to improve okay. Yeah, uh, So I think I think although it can it can carry its own problems, I'd still sooner have more money than than less money Uh, because I think you can you can cope better because you can get better players in who are already proven at the level that they perform for you but they're proven at that level but you can also improve your infrastructure in your club so you can have better facilities and I think that is the and that's the one thing that's really been the most to compete against for me with having a low budget is the lack of facilities. And, yeah. you know, people say we do well on it. Our staff do well on it. I've been used to that. That's not the thing that that is remarkable about, about, in my opinion, what we do as a club. It's the ability to do it with very, very minimal facilities. You know, yeah. when we're a League One team now. It was still, you know, we, we have got a, a new training ground in place now, but the pitch hasn't for one reason know that there was massive floods yeah, in saying, yeah. in in August and September, so we couldn't get that pitch right. So we are still training on plastic. Now, you know you don't play on plastic. So to be able to motivate your staff, your players to keep doing that week in week out, that's the remarkable achievement. Obviously, we'd like to sign better players, but the salary cap coming in now will possibly take this this budget issue out the, out the equation.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you on, you know, we, when you're trying to sign players at any level, if you haven't got the training facilities, if you haven't got, you know, medical support, you mm-hmm. haven't got, that, that it's, it's like creating, you know, people talk about creating the environment, but you're going to have to have something special in your management skills, aren't you, to make up for it. And, and clearly, you've done that and compensated for that over the years, but it's a big challenge.
1: Well, yeah, and it's—I mean, don't don't get me wrong—we are going in the right direction. You know, uh, we have got now this training facility that will be ideal for yeah. what our are. it's just a case that that's going to take longer than what we anticipated. Yeah. But you know, yeah, everyone would like to eat together before and after training. That's not an issue for us at the moment. And you know, with, with the well with the COVID, no one can do that. So,
0: yeah. uh, But
1: you know, we're, we're trying to put things in place that we can grow as a club. One thing that's been brilliant about our is that, you know, he's infrastructure he, he's improved the infrastructure of the club no end. You know, he's built a new stand on the far side. He spent a lot of money on the pitch. He's done well with the club. He's, you know, expanding the club, the actual clubhouse facility, his office facility. Yeah. And I think that's important because when we had the initial success. In the unibond days and getting into the conference, and no one expected us to win the conference. We were no. we were delegation fodder. Um and I think the team on the football side of it on the pitch progressed far too quickly for the club. And so the the infrastructure lagged behind.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and the alt now, they, you know, the chairman has been with us four or five years, he's started to resist that balance and, and that was much needed. Because yeah. we were a we were a league two club with Conference North facilities and that, yeah. you know, we have to improve
0: that and we have improved. Yeah, well, and, I mean look, you're, you know, we're talking now and the position you, you are in, in League One, I mean I'm sure you're, I, well, I doubt you're pinching yourself because you're in it and you're doing the job and you're probably going through the same process you've gone through for goodness knows how many years but everyone involved with the club or who's observing like I am and every now and then I'll drop in the name Akrit in Stanley when people say, well, who did, what the sort of teams you played against? Because the higher you go, the more I drop your name in. Um, so I'm hoping you get promoted for that. Um, but I, I mean, I'm out there in Spain and it's weird because over here, you've got clubs like um, Ibar in the first, in, in, in La Liga, and their stadium holds about five and a half thousand. So in a million miles away from your ground, and yet they're playing against Barcelona and Real Madrid. So I see examples where small clubs can get up there and compete. I mean, it seems like a massive jump for you to get into the championship, but there's reference points over here that would suggest you can maybe go even further. But I don't know. What, what do you think about that?
1: Well, funny enough, I was in Spain um, just as the lockdown. Well, the travel bans were in place at the time, and we were fortunate enough to get away to, to Estepona um, for a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it was probably about June, July time, and there was a team over there, a team from that I can't remember the name of the team, you might know more than me, um, and they were in the playoffs. The playoffs are quite complicated over there now, aren't
0: they? Very complicated, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so they were playing a game,
0: I think it They'd have been coming out of Segunda B, the third tier, into the second tier, I think.
1: Yeah. So. They were playing in the playoffs and they were staying in our hotel. Yeah. And I had a little bit of a chat with one of the coaches and I couldn't believe how much staff they had.
0: Yeah.
1: And it, it was coming out of the ears and they were like a third division Spanish team.
0: Yeah.
1: Who, who, you know, you would think would pay less living still to League One. And they had, them, they had staff coming out of the ears.
0: They had yeah. most At one stage, I thought. They, they do, they do, but there's a little bit less money so you know, I mean, this wage bill is massive. No, he said no.
1: Would you not be better off having a bigger wage bill on less stuff? Yeah,
0: uh, no, it's, it's well. Look, I I coach the under 16s or well, one of the under 16s teams, and we've got four four of us, including a video a video yeah. guy. So you know, but but I think over here football is absolutely king, like it used to be for us thirty years ago. So everyone want, wants to be involved in football in some way, shape or form. So the amount of people you get around the club in terms of volunteers, coaches, staff who are being in and about the place, even if they're not necessarily delivering on the training ground or leading the, leading it, it's kind of like a, a badge of honour to be involved in a football club. And so yeah, he, you get more bang for your buck.
1: He was telling me that a lot of them were not employed and that, that that really surprised me. I mean, yeah. as a guy, ourselves, you know, we've got to use be- Wickham as our benchmark. Yeah. We, we finished... Um we finished above Wickham, Luton, and who's the other and Rother, not Rotherham. Wickham and Coventry. Yeah. So the league we finished when we were in League Two a couple of years ago, we finished above them and comfortably above them, to be fair. Now all them are in the championship. So that should should make, you know for us. Um and then we look at Wickham last year in League One and we played Wickham once last year. We drew one, one. They scored a 94-minute penalty to equalise at their place. We more than held our own with them then. So, yeah. you know, they've done an unbelievable job. Gareth has been a fantastic job and really having a go in the, in the Championship as well. So, you know, from, from that point of view, we've got to say, well, if they can do it, why can't we do it?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I, th- I think with the with the lack of crowds... So, you know, for example, when we beat Charlton the other night, they'd normally be fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000
0: there. Yeah, the Valley,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. You know, valley, and that wasn't the case. You know. Whatever you say, it does help them. You know, it, it, it might get you, the know, referees are only human, and it might get you the know, the seed that's out on the referees might go your way, uh, with f- 15,000, 20,000 people shouting for it. Yeah. But what What we've got this year in League One is quite a strong league. But not no standout teams, one way or the other. So there's no actual, really top sides, and no yeah, yeah. So, so you know, anyone can do anything in this league this year, and it's just the ones who have a little bit of luck and get a little bit of consistency into their game can and,
0: step up. And, and my guess is you and the players have all probably learnt lessons having spent a bit more time in League One and become established, because the first time you play in a league you're going in, you're not going in blind because of the amount of research and opportunities there are for that these days, but being in it, my assumption yeah. is you're going to learn more about it.
1: Well, once you start playing in it, I mean, you can watch videos till they come out of your ears, right?
0: yeah.
1: a lot. and that's one of the things we do. We do study the opposition a lot. I bet. We're always looking to get that little minimum gains, you know, uh, and we're looking at ways that we can exploit their weaknesses and maybe worry about their strengths as well. But the one thing you know, I wasn't prepared for was how physical League One was compared to League Two. All the players looked a little bit a f- little bit stronger, a little bit fitter. Yeah. And then when I look at championship clubs, they go up another level as well. So that's something we've we've always prided ourselves on being very fit. Um but I'd be lying if it if it didn't say I, I did make a, a conscious effort to sign physically stronger players this season.
0: Okay. So and and what and what about the style of football? I mean, it brings us nicely onto it. But to differentiate yourselves, I mean, I I remember you being quite direct, like most teams were. You had Mullen up top, and he was brilliant at holding the ball up—a big physical boy. You had footballers in there as well. Don't get me wrong. And you had players at the back like Robbie Williams, who could play up, who could play out, and you know who could defend and play out. But the way. Look, I, I've not seen all of your football since then, but I've seen at times when you have played you you've knocked it about and maybe played even more football to compete at a higher level rather than you know battening down the hatches and trying to compete on marginal gains and, and you know more direct football. It look, looks to me like your playing style evolved into something that was that was even more ball focused and more more kind of circulation of the ball. Are you still doing that? or I mean you know how, how do you differentiate against teams with more money? Bigger, stronger athletes.
1: How do you, how do, you do it? It's always time to evolve. And sometimes it's horses for courses. You know, there has been times when we've had to sit our lads down and say, listen, we can't play total football all the while. You've got to realise there's a time you've got to put your foot through it. And even yeah. the top, you know, when they have to. Um, and the ball from a right back or a centre off curled over the opposition fullback for a striker to run in will never go out of fashion.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you see Liverpool score numerous goals with that ball, um, and that'll never go out of fashion. But that doesn't mean that you just become predictable and you play that all the while. Now, you, you know, you you have two ends of the scale there. You look at Wickham and Crew, uh, not not Wickham and you look at MK Dons and Crew. Yeah, they play last well, like, probably. If you ask a, a, a proportion of the managers, they'd say the, the overplay. And you know that it can be to the detriment sometimes. But fair play to the managers; they put the ball stick by the the principles, and and they believe that that will be the way for, forward in the future.
0: Yeah,
1: and I think you will have to have some kind of a balance. And the thing is, is that players of lesser quality, and don't get me wrong, we've got some terrific players, and there's some terrific players in League One. But but Premiership players tend to absorb information quicker and make decisions quicker. Yeah, it's quicker. That's what makes them better players. Now League One and League Two players, if you if you if you say, listen, sometimes you've got to put your foot through it, they had to go one way or the other. They had to go all long all the while. Yeah. Or if you ask them to play, they play short all the while. Overplay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really they don't really know when when it's time and play. Thankfully, this year we've started to understand it a little bit better, you know. And I put that down to, you know, that I have got some really good coaches, Jimmy Bell and, and John Tugum. But, I, we've evolved, we've uh, evolved our style of play over the years and probably one of the, the turning points. So I went to the World Cup in South Africa. I went to the semi-final and the final when Spain won it. Yeah. Um, sitting high up in the stands and you can see the pattern of play. patterns of play a lot better. And I was enthralled with the four-two-three-one one system that Spain were playing at times, they didn't really have a centre forward, they just all rotated and
0: yeah,
1: they were brilliant. At it. And it was really good to watch. And I came home and I said, I said to Jimmy Bami, assistant, I said, Listen, I said, we should have a go at this. I said, I know we won't be as good as them, but the principles should be the same. And if we can get three good players, attacking midfielders who can rotate,
0: yeah,
1: It'd be very difficult to, uh, to pick up. so so any road up, we 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 tried it in the summer and it was a long process, but we stuck at it. And round about the Christmas period, Penny Operas. Um we had then we had Jimmy Ryan, um Sean McConville, um, Ian Craney came in for a bit and did well in there as well. Yeah. But we had what balls we could rotate then. We had Terry Gornell as a as our target man. Yeah. 'Cause he wasn't scoring enough. The other three were without him in the goal, but he was doing a great work for the team. And slowly but surely it started to we, went, we had something like six or seven games at home where we were three and a lot at half-time each game. And I remember um I remember playing against um and Albion. And um, and, and he said we 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 done a lot of work against you, management. Uh, he said we done a lot of work against him We still couldn't stop the way you played, and that took us into the playoffs. We ended up getting into the playoffs that year. We we, we were on a great run. I mean, we we ended up losing to Stevenage, over two legs. Yeah. But the unfortunate part for us we went into that to that to that playoff semi final. We had 11 players playing and nine had already agreed to sign for the clubs. So I think the motivation and one of them had actually which didn't uh, bode well with us.
0: Nah, no, that's the killer that isn't it. Was this in the conference or league two? Sorry. It was a conference.
1: No, no, this was this was um this was in league two. Right. So you know we've um we we stuck at that system and, and, and played really well. As I said, got there and lost nine players. And then I wanted to play the same system the following year, and I just couldn't get the players to play. Yeah. So I signed players and I tried to play, and it didn't work. So I had to adapt. And that year, I went to a 4-3-3, which I don't really like. Um, and then we we've maintained them. We we won we won only two playing a four-four-one-one, but very much trying to play through the lines. Yeah. Um, but we had Billy Key up top then, so we could go long when we wanted, and he'd knock a few people around. Yeah, and we crosswind that's running onto things. And uh, in the early years, and then when we actually won the league, we had Caden Jackson who had blind, blind and pace. Yeah. blind so that allowed us to play. We had two really good wingers in Sean McConville and and Jordan Clark. Yeah, who we were fantastic players in their own right going forward but did unbelievably well defensively. yeah. And that platform to play through the lines. And, you know, we really enjoyed the way that plays. And then you, you keep trying to replicate that. We lost Jordan Clark last year, and then you have to change the way you're going to play.
0: Yeah. And
1: this year I thought if I was going to go a little bit bigger with, the, with my signings and a little bit stronger, I thought uh, three at the back might be uh, beneficial to us. Mark Hughes has been an absolute unbelievable pro for us. He's been outstanding and he's getting better with age, like an old wine. And
0: yeah. he
1: hasn't got a lot of pace, but he can organise and the three at the back has really served as well oh. this year. A lot more stable. And we've still been able to play more attacking football with two attacking wing backs and and three attacking midfielders.
0: And, and and the three the three centre centre backs because you'll have to excuse my lack of lack of knowledge on it but I've not seen you play enough but your is, is three centre halves comfortable on the ball?
1: Yeah, they all are. You know, we've got Cameron Burgess from Scunthorpe. We we've got Ross Sykes who's who's come through our academy and it. I'd be amazed if he doesn't go for big money soon.
0: Right. He, at the moment, and then we brought
1: Michael Nottingham in from Blackpool and he handles the ball really well. Yeah. yeah. It's been three out of them four. With Mark Hughes in there, they've, uh, they've been comfortable on the ball. We've got, you know, a whole midfielder in the game. Skenealy's been with us five years, who handles the ball really well. We brought him back from Sligo. Um, yeah. And then we've got attacking of midfielders all over the place, with, with Matt Butcher, John Russell on loan from Chelsea, Sean McConville playing in there. we just took Gary Roberts uh, on a short-term deal to the end of the season, who's had great success in, the,
0: in League One with Portsmouth. Wow. It'll yeah, be. top play, intelligent, intelligent footballer,
1: not they? We've got players you can handle the ball now, and we've also got you know lively forwards, and you have just got to get that balance right. I still believe in starting to play through the thirds. You know, i I used to have a I used to have a little thing with, and I spoke to Seamus Keneally about this, me captain, um, who came with us from Sligo. When, when we managed the Sligo, I, we used to do a lot of a lot of work on shape and pattern of play. Yeah. And, if we get a goal kick and we and we can, from that goal kick, we can have comfortable possession on the halfway line. It's been a success. And that's always something that's really stuck with us. Mm-hmm. We've tried to do that. So we, we recognise that sometimes, a lot of the time you have to go along with your goal kicks. But if you can play it out, don't play it out and keep it around the back for ages till you lose it. Yeah, desire that you want to get forward and you want to have possession on the halfway line going into there after trying to attack. And that's been one of our answers that stuck with us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, what you've just said in the last five minutes there, the evolution of the teams that you've managed has covered most of the commonly used systems in the game. You took you've talked 4-3-3 even though you don't like it. You've talked three at the back, and 5-2. You've talked about, you know, the rotation of 4-2-3-1 and getting those three, three or four of them rotating. I mean, you've covered nearly everything there. But so... I, I guess, I don't think there's any point in me asking you, you know, is there one particular system that you prefer and you like to use commonly? Because clearly you're adapting just as, as you progress through the leagues and progress with different personnel.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that people get heads up sometimes on systems. Yeah. Players, you can play any system you want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You
1: I'm with you. Players on pitch. Their ability on the pitch will overcome any system.
0: Yeah.
1: And desire will overcome a lot of systems, you know, Sometimes you've played against, you've you looked on this in the past, where you've played against teams who've been right up for the game. And you're looking around thinking, if these has got 30, yeah. you know, they've got the same player who's playing right back is playing right wing. Same yeah. player who's off is playing centre-mid, same player who's playing centre-mid, seems to be playing centre-forward. Yeah. But that, it's, sometimes, it's special. And it's very, play against them. I always say to our lads, don't, don't get hurt up and don't let a system beat you. If yeah. you get, a system that's a flaw in our mental state you know we, oh,
0: really?
1: and we're prepare prepared to overcome different systems and we are keen to to identify what systems we're going to play against but when all said and done if you're 11 are better than them and you all win your individual battles I mean we did equate it last year and we haven't so much banged the drum on it this year but we tried to say listen take it like a Ryder Cup game so if you take it like the Ryder Cup and and play in pairs. Yeah. So if you if you if you take it that it's a five pair game. So your right back and your right winger is a pair. Yeah. Centre half is a pair. Your left back and your left winger is a pair. Your centre mids a pair and your two strikers are a pair. If you win three points in the Ryder Cup, so three years win your battle, you're halfway there. The four years win the battle, you've got a great chance of winning. Yeah. If, Five of your pairs win them battles. You're winning most games
0: you play. Done. Done. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm really, I'm, I mean, I mean, that brilliant analogy. And, and as a centre half, I I really struggle with the way that defenders apply themselves in the game to, to stopping goals, to keeping clean sheets, to blocking, to you know, to, to defending the pen, penalty box really. And I hear a lot of people say, "Well, Harry Maguire is not a good player," and I hear a lot of people say. John Stones isn't a good player, and I hear a lot of people say, you know, such-and-such such isn't a good player. I think centre-halves and defenders in general are getting hung out to dry by constant rotation in the modern game, and, and a lack of unit-based understanding and those those partnerships, and if there's if there's a more important partnership on the pitch than the two centre-halves, or three if you're playing three, I, I don't know what it is, because that that is, I'm not saying it just because I played there, just because I identify with it, but... That is the heart of, of of the pitch because not only is it responsible for stopping the op- opponent scoring, but now generally for most teams, it's the, it's the point at which you've got to understand how to play out and the patterns that you want to use to get out. So I, I I you know I loved it. That's the first time I've ever heard that Riley Cup analogy. I'm going to use it from now on, um, and and I, I love to hear. I think it's a brilliant way of approaching it. I mean,
1: the thing with centre off is, it probably it's probably the most important situation of distance, of distance control, distance between each other. And I think you can, you can possibly get away with your two forwards being too far apart or too close. You can probably get away with your midfielders and your wingers, to the same extent with your full-backs. But the, the distances, you know, you have the old rope analogy, don't you, where the right back goes, goes the centre-half over the other yeah. side. The left back comes over. But them actual distances, and I've, I've always tried to base it on around about 12 yards If you're getting any more than 12-yard gaps in between your defenders, someone's going to exploit it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a little bit like yourself. I want defenders to defend. I want people to throw themselves into things. I want them to block. I want them to win headers. Yeah. I love love centre-half through in and kicking in. I've played attacking football in every team I've managed. But I'd still love to play four centre-halves in my back four.
0: Oh, big sense yeah. of that, just well, well, your, ma- your man Ancelotti has done it recently,
1: hasn't he? Yeah, but well, I, well, I have done it in the past, you know, and I, unashamedly I will, I will do that. And, I, and I'm sure I'll continue to do it in the future. Yeah. I think what you've got to realise is that players are coming through academies now, and it's all based on this total football model. And I think people aren't being taught the basics of defending. I think people aren't being instilled with the drive of how important it is not to concede, not only not to concede a goal, but not to concede a chance to not let that shot go on your target, to stop the cross. You know, I, 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 because there's less and less crossing going on in the game now because you know te- teams play total possession football. They check back, yeah. they go, go down the other side, they go back to the centre half, they go out to the fullback. Fullback goes to the winger, winger probes a little bit, doesn't really work. He only got one in, so he comes back out and comes out the other side. And so the art of stopping across is virtually going out the game. Yeah. The, the amount of goals that you score from crosses is frightening. <laughs> and you know, it was something that we try to, to hammer into our play. Stop the cross, stop at the source. You know, you, you can stop your centre off having to deal with ending just by just by stopping across. I think it's interesting you say about Harry Maguire and um and John Stones. I think if you combine the two of them together, you'd have the perfect centre half, wouldn't you?
0: wouldn't you? Just
1: uh, you know, I, I don't think there's enough attention played to the art of stopping. People. Everything seems to be now about playing, and all the modules coming through the youth is all about how we. I mean, I know the interchange the roles, and I quite like that idea. I quite like that model of people understanding each other's roles and playing. No. Totally. for young players.
0: Totally
1: agree. Totally agree. I, I like that, but I think I think the module of of stopping people, of defending with a heart and a passion. I think that must have got lost in the, in some of the paperwork because I don't see it coming through the academies. I go to watch twenty three football because I have to shop in them areas. I have to yeah. sign players on loan. And I'll go and watch your keeper and I'll go and watch your centre-half. The keeper never catches it and the centre-half never ends it because they haven't got to. And so, what you've got... And listen, let's get it straight. Premiership football and League One and League Two and going down into the conference, it's a different sport. You know, you don't get the time in midfield that they get in midfield. You don't get the time on the ball at the back that they get in the Premiership. Yeah. Different sports. So now you're teaching players. You're bringing players to professional academies. Don't forget they've got the pick now with this E Triple P, where they can take they can take our best players for people. Oh, whatever, yeah. So and so they teach them to play a sport that 99.9 percent of them aren't going to play. They're teaching them to play a game that they're not going to play because
0: yeah. They're not,
1: yeah, very very few of them are going to make the grade into the Premiership. So then they have to apply the trade at our level. And then we have to re-teach them. We have to re-educate them. So it, it's, in a, it's in essence, it's like saving your time as an electrician and then starting to go and get a job as a plumber.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now um, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, a couple, a couple of things. Um, you said before about a ball being played, you know, like a, an in an swinging ball almost off the full-back over the other full-back, you know, in the channel for, for a forward, particularly when that full-back is pressing. So if you've gone short you've Gone short, you've got a bit of circulation. They start to press and get a bit organized defensively. Nick another couple of yards, nick a couple of another couple of yards, and then all of a sudden you swing one in behind and you've got someone with pace up top. I mean, does that ever happen in academy football? It does do, are our midfielders or fullbacks or whoever ever aware of that element of surprise that slinging one in there brings I you the joy that you can bring?
1: I think it mainly happens by accident, yeah, it mainly happens when a lad knows he's got no other alternative but to kick it away and he's trying to clear the ball and it, and it just yeah. went to the, you know, you've got some, you know, pace is being developed in football over the years and there's some players now who are absolutely blistering pace and then, you know, I do give me right arm to have, have, have the pace that some of these young lads have got that I see coming through. But it. It, There's having pace and knowing how to use your pace. Yeah. And, being given a platform to use your pace as well, so if you've got a, a really, really quick player who's got dramatic acceleration off the off the blocks, why are you ask him to come short all the while and present himself? Yeah. You know, and I've had players who are really quick who, who just want to come and play, and I say, listen, no, do what you're good at. Um, we had Andy Mangan in the conference, yeah, and I used to, I used to iron him every day. I say, listen, you're not a player. Don't try and be what you're not. You're yeah.
0: And, stretch,
1: and then you stretch them which allows then the better players to play
0: exactly I mean the, the art of working across the line and then darting in between and in behind how many times do you see runs like that I mean I'm, I'm talking about all levels of football because yeah. because it, it all, all filters down right doesn't it if, if the, the ideals of and obviously you know, I think Pep's got a lot to answer for I mean he, he doesn't he don't, he don't need to say sorry to anyone but he's got a lot to answer for because the consequences of everyone trying to emulate what he started doing in 2008-2009, I think has had an impact on English football, which is going to take years to repair. Because everyone wants to be a 10, or everyone's got this number on their back and their identity. And like you say, most of them are coming this way, not running away from the ball. So it's, I mean, look, it's a bit of a generic generic statement. And I know that there's there's coaches out there and clubs who are addressing it individually. But as you say, the coaching curriculums all reflect... The, the, sorry, they don't reflect the type of qualities that you and I are talking
1: about there. They don't. Yeah, I mean I, I've gotta admit I love watching Man City
0: played up to be honest. Yeah, no, me too, me too. I, me I too. love the
1: way they I love the way they probe. I love the way they, the, the, the the finding solutions to the way the game's gone. gone. Because the game has yeah. gone a bit sterile. But I love the way they they, they keep it round and then they'll dart through and still get around the back and fire one across and they score. So I do I do love watching that. Yeah. You've got you've got certain teams who will try and play that way. Liverpool have got two. I, I love watching Liverpool at the moment, but they've got two. extremes. when when they, they keep the ball around the back and the slow and ponderous, they don't look a good side. No. When they want to touch football around the box and people take chances and people take risks, uh, they're a far better team and. They, they score great goals and they
0: and they blow teams away. Well under, under Brendan Rogers, I don't know if you remember that lunchtime kickoff when they were 4-0 up against Arsenal after about 25 minutes. But that that was, was unbelievable Brett- because it was an Arsenal team coming this way, and a Liverpool team just just literally two, three passes and bang, and it went. And it, it went one possession, it wasn't patient, it was just bam, bam, bang, and it was that was incredible. I, I, I always uh, remember that game. You were breathtaking under Brendan
1: Rogers, and, Rodgers and- it's sad, really, because he doesn't get the credit he deserves for that team because yeah. he probably under underachieved the following season. And that that shows he carries that stigma with him, which is, is wrong, really, because he's, he's been good the team since then as well. Yeah. But, but it's, it's difficult to get players in the modern day now to take risks in the right places. And, I mean, I watch Liverpool as a fan now, so, you know, far from me to criticise Jürgen Klopp. But just because they have so much of the ball, I don't see the reason why they should have 60, 70 passes to take a chance on the edge of the box with a pass when they could take it after five because they're going to get it back anyway in about 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah. Because, listen, I've always encouraged our players to try and take risks in the right areas, you know, so when we get the ball into the final third, don't come back out. Yeah. defender, You'll know as a defender if the ball comes into the final third and you can make them play it back into their own half, Yeah, they- Job, you're delighted.
0: Yeah, and you, you okay. get a little bit more organized, a little bit more compact. It's, you know, it's that much easier to defend in the most dangerous areas.
1: Yeah, and I bind our players up. I say, no, you know,
0: defenders, you know,
1: defenders were no good at school. They were last pick at school. Well, the goalkeeper was the last pick. I said, all the top players were strikers because I was a striker. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: true. That's true.
1: And I said, all the prime real is. I said, we're, we're now Westminster. At the edge of the box is Westminster. I said, uh, I said, uh, you go to the midfield and that's just alright areas. I said, you're you getting the really, the the, the really um, rural places and the 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 low value real estate yeah. back yeah. because you score goals there. So I said, yeah. why, why come out the posh areas? Why come out the, the prime real estate areas, which is are the final third?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I think maybe if if a team's really, really organised and there's no way way you're going to find to sling a cross in, there's no way, you know, I think sometimes to come out and restart again and go out and try and shift that block is is a good thing. But I I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I see too many times that... What pisses me off, to be honest, is when wingers are 1v1 and because the defender has actually got the body shape right, has actually blocked off the area where they want to go and penetrate, they turn back in and they, they go back. I want to see a little bit of show, you know, like you used to, maybe probably Gordon Neil, Steve Koppel, show them the ball a little bit. You know, show them, you know, and if they lose the ball there, I don't have a problem with that because the next time they do it, the defender will be that much more confident that you might nick in and get, and get through.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got to be prepared to lose the ball in their Marys, and, Yeah. And if you've got a fear of losing it, you won't take risks. One of the big things now is the way football's developed over the past three years, you know, it's always developing now and you just think even in the last three years I mean I still think back maybe five or six years it's developed but three years maybe two years the big big change is counter-attack on football now that's the thing everyone wants to suck you on and hit you on the break now I watch defenders and I watch defenders in the Premier League and they're not great you know the art of defending I still still think is gone because they all want to play football so I think that's the area that you should exploit and so even even at the premiership when you know they've got everyone behind the ball and they've got the defence packed. If you still put the ball in the box and you get enough numbers in the box, the ball can and will break for
0: you if yeah. you do
1: enough. But teams are reluctant to do that because the petrified they're getting counted on. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm sure.
1: You've got to get that balance.
0: Yeah. You've got
1: to get balance with between committing five players into the box for the winger to cross it into and still having four enough that you can rely on that well, we can all this counter up for a bit. Till the, till the cavalry gets back. And I just don't think teams, particularly at the higher level, aren't prepared to do that. Uh, they're not yeah. prepared to take risk anymore. And um, risk taking in football now is very, very minimal, now I think.
0: I, I, I agree. I mean, the defensive units are so much better organized these days. I mean, I, did you talk to your midfielders? In fact, did you even talk to your centre arms that much about them? I mean, I remember, like Dunny, for example, Harry Dunn, he signed me and he said, I want you to head it and clear the ball in the channel and get out, and that's it. That was that was the starting point. He never coached me. He tell me what to do. Next time, Nicky Peverell does this. Next time, such and such does this because he picked up things. His eye for detail was unbelievable, but he never coached me. Neither did Steve Richards. Neil Parsley did a little bit. Pars was a, a good coach, to be fair, but most of the coaches that I or the managers that I work with, no coaching. It was. You you know how to do your job. Go out and do it. If there's one specific situation that I want you to do it differently, I'll tell you exactly how to do it. I won't show you how to do it, and I won't coach you, and I won't develop the the the, the decision making you know process that you need to go through to do to, to carry out that action. Just fucking do it. And that and that's what I got. And I I don't know. I mean, my guess is you've got. I mean, how you work now with your players. You've got you've got Jimmy. You've got John. Between the three of you, you've got plenty of time to do the video, to break it down after sessions, to break it down in training sessions, to break it down on the phone, on text messages, whatever. But back then we had an hour or two. You probably had an hour or two with your players as well back, back in those days. So you needed players who knew what to do, but the process of telling your midfielders this is what your part is in, in, you know, in the defensive block and this is how high and this is the distance you need between the, you know, your unit. I don't think that ever used to happen for us, and I, I, you know, I'd be surprised if we did for you.
1: Well, that was the big—that was the big turning point. with going from
0: from part time to
1: full time. You had yeah. so much more time to work on the finer details. You know, I remember one one session when we went full time, just working on the goalkeeper's position from the free kick.
0: Yeah,
1: I didn't have the time for that. You know, you you're trying to cram fitness in, you're trying to cram shaping. We, did, we couldn't do a video analysis because we, we didn't have the facilities.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Up the gym, the opposition when we were non-league and part-time. But you're trying to cram so much into, you know, you're you playing most Tuesdays. Tuesdays, You've got an hour and a half on a Thursday. A couple of lads might be working. I mean, we used to play our lads on a Thursday night, so more or less guaranteed that everyone was there. Um good But, you know, you have the time to work on that. And as you say, you have to tell them, listen, this is the way I want to play and this is the way I want you to play. Now, the higher up they go, it's, it's imperative that they, they learn to think for themselves because yeah. we can't give them all the answers. You know, we can't give them a, a, a crib sheet that they can look off and say, I do that at this situation. Football's really evolving now. And so, if you have to get their opinion, you have to try and make their decision process better. They've got to see a reason why they're making that decision. You know, and yeah. I'm keen yeah. to ask, why did you do that? And there's no right, wrong or right answer here. You know, just tell me why you're thinking it, and then I'll think, tell you what I think. And then between us, we maybe get a process in place that it thing happens, this is what you do. And do you agree that that's right? And they take ownership of that. They want to do it more. They want to make it work.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, they believe it's their idea and, or their idea in collaboration with you. You're gonna to want to try and make it better. Now, as you go back, when you when you were part time, we didn't have that time. We didn't have that time to spend on them. And you know, you end time if you if you went on a bad zone. You know, so you, you had to get more or less defend, his defense. Midfielders create, striker score, and that that was the you know the simplified version of, of coaching really.
0: So you've just you've just said. I played for a side called Roundtrees in York for a while. There's a, there's a legendary manager called Jim Collis. He ran fish shops in in uh, in York, and that was his team talk. He was he was he was famous for getting his team talks wrong and his words mixed up. So he'd say, he'd say something like, "Bloody Kev Graham, he's always knocking them diangular balls." And he, he said, "Oh, there has been loads of shit this season," and you know that's all Bridge Underwater. And he would gets stuff mixed up all the time, but his team talk, and he, and he was one of them. He'd go around all the parks pick players out you know real old school manager he'd come and trade with me and i'll you know I'll, I'll move you on and i moved on to Whitby from there but his team talk was always listen lads i've said it before i'll say it again defenders defend midfielders create attackers score goals get out there and that was it and, and he was a legend and like you say what you just said there that's you know the essence of what what they, they need to do still exists of course there's loads more detail that you can add and the more time you have to work with players the more you can help you know, cr- help them craft their their trade because that's what it is really. Like say, so it's about independent decision makers adding to their yeah. their, their original skills.
1: But, you no, know, now there's got to be an interloping a bit because because the not supposed to be the game's gone. But if you want to be successful, you know, you look at the Liverpool teams uh, of the 70s and 80s, and how hard they defended from the front. You know, Ian Rush to socks off the time press, and you see a lot of this or oh, the gagging press that people are very with then people are, are very into this press and,
0: yeah
1: uh, uh, I think we were doing it about twenty years ago to be honest. But you know you didn't get the credit for it then because yeah. it wasn't vogue. But you know, we expect forwards to defend and help out when they can. You know, our two wingers when we won the league, they were unbelievable unbelievable defenders, Sean McCall yeah. and Jordan Clark got back and helped out the full backs really well. Which allowed us to expand and go on attack when we did, without either right. getting. You've got to rely on midfielders to score now. You've got to rely on defenders to score, you know. So, gone are the days where one striker got thirty, one got twenty, your wingers got twelve each. Yeah. Or any sense. That's shared round. That has to, it has to be shared around
0: now.
1: Yeah. sometimes you don't know where your next goal is going to come from. Yeah, yeah. You've got to try and develop a team that want to attack together and defend together and create together and so the more you work with them and the more you work you know one of the things we do at Acklington we've always had really intense pre-seasons so we work really hard a pre-season sometimes push them a bit too hard and thats really sometimes led to a couple of injuries that we could have avoided but we wow. do work really hard Um and the lads will testify for that, the ones who are running up and down the sand dunes this summer. Um, you know, but then we taper our training then to the needs of playing games. So the physical demands and training becomes less and less as the season goes on. And more than is more emphasis is placed on the, t- the te- technical and the tactical side, not so much the technical because you should have a lot of that technical work
0: in your I was going to say. I mean, I I always say to people, for me, pre-season, and again, you know, you're talking about a a different level to what I operate in. But in a part-time game, pre-season, that five-six week block that you've got, that's when you get your patterns in. That's when you get your technical work in. I, I, I I think pre-season is important for fitness. But to be honest, in a part-time game, players have got to take ownership of that themselves.
1: You know,
0: I'm not there to get them fit. I will get them fit with what we do. But what I want them to understand is how we're going to play as a team come day one. And that's yeah. really important at that point.
1: You, you've got to get that in. Now, we we do get that in in pre-season, but we do, we go heavily on the fitness. And then,
0: yeah.
1: throughout the season and we lower the physical demands, but then we do constantly re- reinforce this is how we're going to play, this is, this is how we're going to get, this is how we're going to beat this opposition, this is how we're going to beat that opposition, this is how we're going to defend against them. And, the more they do it, the, the more the players got. They're all involved, so you can change your team, and everyone knows the roles. Yeah, and you've you've got to you've got to keep reinforcing that, but you can't really tax them too much because the games will be taxing enough as the, as they are. So you've got to get the you've got to get the balance right, and we believe we, we do do it in a in a way that suits us, suits our purposes. I,
0: I'm not going to argue with you, Paul. You haven't done too bad, are you?
1: Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, players will complain that they're not playing enough football. Yeah, no. You can't get to play, but they've got to be ready to play. I mean, you go back to go back to the non-league days and you'll know this yourself. The first two or three weeks of, of non-league, when I played, when I played when I was younger, you get a, a lot of the older fellas who come back dramatically out of shape. The first three weeks with them losing about six pounds. Yeah. And and getting themselves to a position where they could now train. You know, now, in this day and age, forget football, professionalism and all that. But the advent of social media and all that, all the young lads, they're vain now, aren't they? Oh, so yeah, they, the
0: gym, gym life for them, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Yeah, so, the drinking culture is almost all but evaporating out the game. Yeah. You know, you still get the odd ones, I suppose. Um, and sometimes it's good for teams spirit and and you can get them. but that's all but of evaporating now. So you haven't got that period of trying to get them into into the weight shape and the physical shape, because they're all the in physical shape. They've all got they're all ripped. They're, they they could all be swimwear models.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's now getting them football fit, getting them fit to play a game. Yeah. Now as you said, they should take ownership of themselves. Well, they do. They yeah. do not. The hard part is keeping them fit to play a game of football.
0: And that's yeah. conditioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally
1: different. And that's constantly, constantly the battle because I don't chop and change teams. I've never been a rotator. I've never believed in that. I never will be, I don't think, unless I get a job in a premiership and then I'm forced to. But um, I've never believed in that. I don't really like making subs. I've never been one for the sake of it. So, you know, the year we won League 2, we had 12 games. I didn't make a sub for a, for 11 of them. Um, I didn't change the team for the 12, by I won. And that was the goalkeeper who was in a car crash on the way to. So, I don't like making changes. I don't like making subs. I, I will if I have to, and I will if I think it's necessary. But I can't stand watching Substitutes made that weaken teams. What substitutes made to to waste time that ends up adding on time that where teams sit with it's just because they they make a sub to time to time run the clock down all time, stifle the game. Yeah, just, if your best teams work and play it to the end.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the only thing I'd say about that is. What about the stats on the physical side of things? Are you seeing players taper off after a certain time? Well, that's one of the things that we do uh,
1: an intense pre-season so that they, they don't get into that situation. Okay. So I had a lad who um, who played for me at Southport called John Dillon, who's an um, who's an analyst now at Crew, and Crew play terrific football, by the way. You know, you yeah. keep the ball off you like
0: you feel. A good like, job, doing a good job, Damien. I tell you.
1: I'll save you. And he feels, though sometimes he should throw another ball on for you, but we we um, we ended up beating him this year. Um, I was I was would just done me press and I was walking down to go into the manager's office and John was waiting for me and he said and he said he said uh, you know one thing I'm I'm amazed about your team how fit they are, how they keep going right to the ends out. You know, is the ending specific that you work on? I said no we. And that was pleasing to hear from from an outsider, really. Yeah, full of,
0: and a specialist in his field as well, obviously. Yeah.
1: And, and I said, you know, I said, no, I said, but it's some of the things that we've prided ourselves on, and we believe we get it done by doing a really physical pre season and then tapering our training to meet the needs of the game. So we, we never really overtake them now during the week. Yeah. Uh, training. You know, we might overtax the minds a little bit. Uh, yeah. Take the information in. But I believe if you've got that f- firm foundation of a good, solid preseason, it stands you in good stead. Yeah, okay. things, never go out of fashion in football. No, 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 exactly. You, you can use you can use all the modern technology that you've got, and I'm a firm believer in that. Use what's that available. Don't don't say, "Oh, I'm old school." I don't believe in that word, old school. Yeah. So honest, you know, you should always be developing. You should always try to learn. I think that the day that you think you know everything, you're going to fall flat on your face.
0: Love it. Love it. Always.
1: Myself. I'm always trying to learn new ways, trying to pinch ideas off off other other teams. I mean, a classic example of that is you'll remember this team. You'll have played against this team loads of times. Emily, yeah, so
0: Ronnie
1: You'd have, have played against. they went on to be Wakefield, didn't he? Yeah,
0: yeah. Big Paul, Big Paul David, and uh, uh, Nikki Wood at the back. Yeah, yeah. And good
1: players. And, um, and we had some great battles with them. But they did this corner once and they played it short. Uh, The lads... Well, they played it to the edge of the box. Middle of the edge of the box. So they have two men on the edge of the box. One one ran and blocked the other midfielders' player. He ran to to go and strike it. Stepped over the ball. lad came from round the back and shot. Yeah. Oh, what a corner that is. So I pinched it. And then we took it onto the Football League and... We had a spell where we scored about nine goals from in one season. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone else started to pinch it. So Eddie out pinched it, and then all of a sudden it was, it became unmatched as they the Bournemouth corner.
0: Yeah, but you know, it, but it was done a long time now. I mean, I know I know other coaches who've done that to, with great success. It's a brilliant corner, yeah. The
1: Emily corner. It, it was Emily, Emily. It was about they might have pinched it off somebody else. Uh, that, well,
0: Emily would Emily would definitely that, that the, like if you're talking about Ronnie Glavin's team there, I can't recall a team doing it before that, and I've seen a lot do it since. So yeah, you, you, uh, you, you might we, well it right there.
1: Off them, but it was great, you know, because I, I still played Sunday football into my forties, and um, and then we played in the Veterans League as well.
0: So yeah. after,
1: and <sighs> How easy you got them things off, you know, because they weren't tuned in. They
0: just couldn't stay with you, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: you got yeah. them off to it, say. So you used to do it all the while. Everyone would be laughing. Yeah. So, but, you know, but that, that's what I'm saying. You, you always got to sign and use what uh, you available. So if, you, if you've got an all singing and dancing uh, fitness programme that you can do or a monitoring situation or a tracking situation, use them. Use them yeah. to get, get every ounce that you can out of what you've got available. Yeah. And that's the only way you can say, well, I've done my best. I've used all yeah. I've got in the box to try and get the best out of this team, yeah. to try and get team to perform as best they can.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's so much out there. I mean, the awareness, if some of these things you, you had to use 20 years ago, you'd have used them. Of course. You we would. didn't know about
1: them. Big, the, the big, big plus for me, honestly, has been the... Um, Advent of video, yeah. You'll have, you'll know this as a player. So, you, a corner comes in, you've got your man, you're, you're tight, tight enough to your man. The ball goes over your head, someone heads it in. So, you walk off at, at half time or full time. Who had him? Yeah, and it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And and he could afford to do that because they weren't accountable because no one could prove that that was your man, yeah. The minute you could watch videos, you don't a, need to have the argument there. You? you
0: just say, "Let's have a look at it when we get in."
1: Yeah, and that changed it. The, the advent of of all our games being recorded changed more or less immediately accountability for defenders for me. Yeah. Well, for everyone really, but particularly for set plays. Yeah, and that was a big, big boost for me. And yeah. we while well after that. you know, not sure.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so listen, we've been going for for nearly an hour and a quarter. And as as I always say this to everyone who's been on it because I love talking football, but I say it because it's true. It's been unbelievable and it's flown by, and, and I'm sure we could carry on. But I'm gonna I'm gonna finish on on one topic, and that's that's young coaches coming through in the way that coaching's changed. Now you're you're a teacher by profession originally, is that right?
1: Yeah, I I qualified to be a teacher. I only actually taught for a year, but I went through me uh, three years degree.
0: Yeah.
1: So I did learn how to teach.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and that's what I want to ask you about, really. So so the, the process of how to teach, and I referred to it before with some of them gaffers that I had when I played, um, and and over my conscious lifespan in football, I now see coaches and managers who emotionally have probably got similar intelligence because that that's always existed. There's always been people who can motivate people who understand players, who understand what makes them tick. But how to break down that process and how to take them into the week and, and put something right that they saw on a Saturday, uh, and the process of learning, which you picked up as a teacher. Um, how, are you, how, how do you see your coaching staff changing over the years and the way that they work? And have you had any young coaches come through in your career, at any of the clubs that you've managed at, that have really surprised you in terms of might not have have had the background in the game that you actually you know you might have been concerned about their knowledge of the game, but they've come in with something new that's been that's blown you away.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a a couple of facets to that. The, the one thing is is that I think there's a big distinction between managing, coaching, leading. Yeah. Now, you know. They identify a common cause they try and get everyone to rally around that course and then you drive you drive them on you know would you class jürgen klopp as a leader or a manager yeah you yeah. say, although he gets loaded for his coaching ability he certainly wouldn't class him as a coach in my opinion anyway no same, same. Yeah. you know when someone who's who's driving a course forward and i think I think they they make the better ones and if you can identify that cause and then you can sell the cause to them. And that comes down to your personality and how you handle players. And I would like to think that is one of my strengths that it
0: you Most know,
1: be. Most be. Players that I can get them to believe that what I'm doing the way I'm doing it is right. That my dream also their dream and they and they then they want to have that as their dream and they want to make that successful. Now over the years. When we first started part-time, so as we were going back to before, you only had an hour and a half to coach on a Thursday. Maybe on a Tuesday, we didn't have a midweek game.
0: Yeah.
1: Mainly, you had, had to get a bit of fitness in. You had to get a bit of everything in, really. A bit of, bit of shape. Um, so you had have, you'd have to get it all in in a, in a short space of time. Now, I took all the coaching. So initially, we, we on the pitch. I took all. I took all the toes. Did you doing, ever?
0: Co- did you ever consider
1: yourself more of a coach than a manager? I loved coaching, but yeah. I was I, a manager. But I loved coaching. So I took all the coaching, and Jimmy hardly took any. Jimmy might take the warm up and a little bits of things, but I took all the coaching. So yeah. all the technical work, all the not all, all the tactical work, all the ideas of coaching, all the the methods we were do, all the phases of play, the, the little functions we were doing was all what I wanted to do
0: yeah
1: and you take a little bit off your coaching badges but you take that a little bit off with the managers that you've played with or played under and eliminate the things that you thought were bad and answer the things that you're trying to make the things that you thought were good better and over the years that has, has turned full on its head so over the years I've watched Jimmy develop as a coach yeah to be one of the top coaches in the country now and he doesn't get the credit for it right I've I did my pro license with, uh, um, my A license, sorry, with John Doolan, who also played for me at Accrington yeah. and Ashton. And he's a good friend of mine anyway. He played with me from Kirby's days. And I've seen him develop as a top coach. So I've seen the two of them now develop into such a stage now where I very rarely do any coaching now.
0: Yeah.
1: I watch every session, I pick bits out that I think we can improve on. Uh, when I step in now and again in the shape, it has a dramatic effect because I don't often go in.
0: Yeah, so so it's an impact, yeah.
1: When I do speak to the players, they listen. Well, I'd like to think they listen because it's not a background noise anymore. Uh, But I've then watched Jimmy and John become two top coaches who don't get the credit they deserve. I see all, you know, I've got nothing against foreign coaches, but I see a lot of foreign coaches getting a lot of credit, you rightly deserve, but at the expense of English coaches getting yeah, there. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, and I still bang the drum on John and Jimmy. The understanding of the game, the way they can spot things that I haven't spotted in a game while the game's going on, I sometimes get up in the emotion in the game. Yeah. You can break it down and, and cold, not cold, but calm and calculated and he can say, no, he's not there, he should have been there, he should have been there. And then when you watch it back on video the right, the way they try trying um, identify Patterns of play that we can play to to overcome the opposition, the way they study the videos and then relate that video into training. And so it's been a really good blend, you know, of, of me being able now to take a back seat.
0: Yeah, yep. gradually. Yeah.
1: Learn more about watching me plays to actually have more of an insight into each individual player. By not having to coach them as much now, because I trust them really with my lives, John and Jimmy. Yeah. But being able to observe them actually absorbing that coaching, see what players are getting it, see what players aren't. So it makes my job a lot easier, but a lot more fulfilling. I still miss coaching. Yeah. But I do like the blend that we've got now, where I can just step in now and again.
0: Well, Um, it's it's the the same as you. I mean, you said before about watching. The World Cup games in South Africa from a, a higher vantage point, and you can see the patterns of play more clearly from up there. From my assumption, is and I've seen I've done it a little bit myself as a manager, you need to sometimes come out of it the training session because when you're there delivering five yards away from a player or dragging a centre half into here or whatever you're doing, a pattern or whatever, you're in there and you're living and breathing it, you're almost as involved as the players are. When you're out of it and you see the people who are paying attention. And you see the ones who are, who are busting the bollocks to get in the team on a Saturday. And you see the ones who've got a deficiency with their first touch because it's always taking it a little bit too central instead of away from their body. You, you, you pick stuff up that that guy who's delivering in the middle doesn't, doesn't do. So, I mean, we, we, we benefit from that a little bit here, as I say, because of the culture here of having quite a lot of staff. And we do, we do get to see the players a little bit more than, than perhaps other coaches do.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the big pluses for me in the lockdown and the lack of fans and don't get me longer, I'm still desperate for fans to get back in because I think... Well,
0: we're, we're all fans of the game, aren't we, first, before we were anything else? But
1: I've taken now to sitting in the stands for games.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's quite high up now. And it, it doesn't half give you a better picture of the game. And yeah. it's going to be difficult when fans come back to do that because I don't really like sitting in amongst the fans because I think then that can detract from your observation of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, influence well, of it. But it's been really refreshing to be able to sit back, even at our home games. You no, know, we only sit about eight or nine seats back, yeah. but it's was a better advantage. I was going to
0: say, you need, you need that promotion pal to add another tier onto a couple of the stands. Yeah. You're not quite high enough yet, are
1: had uh, There was times when we were in the conference where I used, to, I used to go up on the TV gantry. Yeah. I used to watch it from the TV gantry and then I'd shout on and then I got warned off. Alliance were in reporting me for coaching outside of yeah. the area. So, but that was good. I could see I could see better patterns of play, but you're always trying to improve what you can deliver to the team
0: yeah.
1: and what the rest of your staff can deliver to the team and then what the team can deliver to you. And you know, it's, a lot of the time it is a two-way process. You've got to you've got to get into the minds of people. You know, one of the big things for me as well is because I don't make a lot of changes. You've got a squad of 24 players. 11 are involved every week. Maybe one or two are getting on a sub-12 feel like they're the spare part of the wedding, you know. So, yeah. having to keep them on side and going around and chivvying them up and going and having little chats with them while training's going on. And sometimes it might not even be about football, but it just might be just to, to get them interested and know that you're still interested in them. And it's not an act, because I am still interested in them. I realise the importance of the hammer this home week in, week out, so the importance of everyone being ready, and it's not just the players who are playing. Everyone's responsible for whatever results we get because we all practice together. Yeah. So you haven't played a part in the game. You've been played a part in the practice that has helped us win that game. So we've all won that as a machine together. Now, I, I might go alongside one player and say, you know, I know he's into, he's into his cricket. England's, England's have just took another wicket there, blah, blah, blah. And just keep him, oh, yeah, yeah, and then talking to yeah. him. And that sometimes is it can get overlooked, the importance of the rest of the players who aren't playing, you know, and how important they are. And everyone in the club is a part to try and get the club where they are. The year we got promoted from League 2, so I sat the players down and I said, listen, I believe we're going to get promoted this year. And we were favoured to relegation. I said, I believe we're capable. I said, we had a great run last season. I said, but everybody's got to pull in the right direction. I had the chief exec there, I had some of the office staff there, I had the kit man there, the physios. I said, "You're." I had some of the youth team players. I said, everyone will play his part and everyone should celebrate it. I said, be it being the kit being right, be it the youth team coming in and helping us with the shape by, by doing what the opposition do and us trying to replicate what they're doing and how we're going to combat it. From the chief exec getting it right for the, the paperwork, for everything, everyone's got a little role that we all should be proud of when we get promoted. all, yeah. Promote well. And it was great that we did go on and do it.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, as I say, 11 players might win your football match, but you're going to need your full squad of 18 or 24 to win your league.
1: Well, it's great to be, you know, I, I, well, I, I did actually give the quote that, that President Kennedy did. You know, this was three or four years before the landed a man on the moon. And he went to the headquarters of NASA, so this would be about 63 nobody I'll tell you because he died in sixty-three, didn't he? So it would be five years, six years, and he went to NASA, and he was going around like you know, it was a it was a visit.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, he come across a janitor, and he said to the janitor, "What do you do?" He said, "I'm helping putting a man on the moon." And that's that didn't have strike home for me.
0: Yeah, plays the part,
1: and you oh, know, yeah. that janitor has helped. To put
0: them on the mats Yeah, yeah, absolutely, brilliant story. I think I have heard it before, but not for a long time. John, um, like I say, we're knocking on for an hour and a half, pal. Um, I, I loved, I loved that. Um, really enjoyed talking football with you. The people who will watch this, like I say, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of coaches who watch this will, will love some of the things that, like I say, the Ryder Cup things really stands out for me. The parents, I, I absolutely love that, but there's so much more to pick out of it. <laughs> i would structured a few questions, obviously, and we've covered every one of them throughout this process. So, you know, your, your game style, your style of football and the way that's evolved, the way the game's evolved, the way coaching's evolved, um, you know, the, the money side of things, the part-time, full-time stuff. I didn't actually have to ask the questions, it just came out in the, in the conversation, which is probably the best way, so um, all that's left for me to say is... Um, I can't, I, I hope you keep getting promoted so I can keep saying that, you know, I played some of my career against the Premier League team um, and I'm just, I'm blown away like most people are, you know, I, I know, my, my assumption is that you started playing football in Kirby just the same as everyone else and maybe you never expected to get anywhere near where you are right now going to places like Sunderland and getting results and potentially, you know, getting up from League One, I think it's just been an incredible career, really inspirational. Um, top man. Remember, I mean, when you talk about Jimmy, there, my my Biden memories of Jimmy, uh, him coming off the bench and trying to kick the fuck out of me for the last twenty minutes of a game. He couldn't run for run very well, um, and he, he had he had a pretty pretty vast vocabulary um, that we shared. We, we had we had a couple of exchanges. Um, and uh, but but to hear how he's he's you know you've kind of grown with a family I guess over these years it's an unbelievable journey and um, well done on that I wish you all the best in the future and, and once again thanks because I've really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: John, take care, pal. All the best. Great. Cheers.